Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, bless us this morning with open ears, open minds, and open hearts, that we may hear and be moved by your word in a new way today. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and there was a multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you have heard your pastors talk about the gift that is Spotify's annual recap before. It turns out those lists preach pretty well. And this morning, I have to be honest with you about mine. When Brad and Trinity have told you about them, They have been gracious with me. They have withheld from you how truly basic and unoriginal my taste in music is. Last year, my top five artists were the same that they have been since 2016 when Spotify started this tradition. So while I'm not original, I am consistent. At number five was Ed Sheeran, and then Niall Horan from One Direction. After Niall was Shania Twain, and then the Jonas Brothers, and in my number one spot, Taylor Swift. I'm not here to make an argument for Taylor, take her music or leave it, I get it. But I will tell you that being a Taylor Swift fan makes me uniquely equipped to preach on Revelation. That's not a joke, that's not the funny part. It's true. You see, Taylor Swift loves symbolism. She realized years ago that her fans dissect every word she says and image she posts, and so she started dropping hints about upcoming things, and her fans caught on, and so she started dropping more hints and making them more cryptic and developed an entire lexicon of symbols to communicate with her fan base. She sprinkles in nuggets and symbols from her past songs and concerts and posts to reveal to her fans something that is happening or something that is to come. Though the context and content is entirely different, John, the author of Revelation, is similarly using old and familiar symbols for the purpose of a new revelation. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, but this book is not a prediction for our pop culture understanding of an apocalypse. It's an ancient prophetic genre of writing which through symbolism reveals heavenly perspective on history. 
like the rest of the Bible, it was written in a specific time and place, which informs how the author communicates to their audience. John wants his readers to recall God's faithfulness throughout history and through Christ as a testament to the faithfulness on which God's new kingdom will be built. In the midst of illustrations of what may be interpreted as our tragically average, violence-prone, and heart-wrenching lives is where we find our text today. Between action-packed passages, chapter 7 is a break, but not just any break. It's a break of grace, which names salvation for the multitudes. This passage is one that's often preached on All Saints Day, when remembering the saints of our faith who have passed, as it invokes images of a heavenly cloud of witnesses, multiple, multitudes gathered together, united in their salvation. When I think of multitudes united, I can't shake the image of a front porch and some rocking chairs and a warm mug of coffee. I may have shared with you before that finding a good rocking chair is a gift of mine. I can point you to some great ones across the Southeast, and I absolutely play favorites. My favorite rocking chair in the whole world is at the Mayhew House in Beersheba Springs, Tennessee. I first met Phil and Terry Mayhew while on a mission trip to a nearby town in the Cumberland Plateau area of central Tennessee. And like so often happens with those experiences, my relationship with them is what I have continued to cherish and return to over the years. The Mayhews run a porcelain studio from their home they have a wide, covered front porch that stretches across the entire length of their home. Phil Mayhew would throw porcelain on his pottery wheel positioned at one end of the porch, surrounded by chairs to watch and listen as he creates and shares stories. Terry dances between the porch and the gallery space in their entryway, but often would get stuck leaning in their front doorway smile as wide as her face and hands on her heart, welcoming all to her home. And tucked in the far corner of that porch, with a prime view of Phil's wheel, is one old faded purple falling apart rocking chair. I've laughed and cried and napped in that rocking chair. From that chair, I've listened to Phil tell stories about his music career and his water skiing career and his activism and his love for his wife as he threw porcelain on his wheel. Phil passed away this past week, and the story I've returned to as I've grieved one of the saints in my own life is my favorite story of Phil's. Every time I sat in that chair, I'd hope somebody would ask him, what his favorite thing to make as an artist was, so that I could listen to him talk about why he likes to make mugs. He'd say that most potters he's met hated making mugs, that they're tedious and time-consuming to create, only to be stuck up in cabinets. But Phil thinks about mugs differently. He'd say that humans, we creatures of habit, 
we have no more intimate relationship with a piece of dishware than many of us have with our favorite mug. That each and every morning, many of us wake up and reach for our favorite mug to hold and savor our coffee or tea in. Coffee figure, Phil figured that by last summer, he had some, made somewhere over 30,000 mugs and that those mugs were now scattered across the world. And given how time zones work, it's very possible that at any given hour of any day, somebody is waking up and wrapping one of his homemade mugs in their hands. I don't know of any greater community, any greater fellowship than that, he'd tell you. Strangers around the world, too many to count, sharing coffee, united in tradition and ritual, welcome to my porch, we're bound together in this moment by something precious. Just as this passage is a good fit for All Saints Day, I think it's an appropriate text for World Communion Sunday too. Each year on the first Sunday in October, we celebrate World Communion Sunday in worship. Like many good things, the celebration was born of Presbyterians from Pittsburgh, like me. As their son of the founder recalls its origin story, in 1933, his father, Reverend Dr. Kerr, was looking for a way to bring churches together in Christian unity so that participants may better understand that each congregation is interconnected to one another through Jesus Christ. The Presbyterian Church as a denomination soon adopted the celebration, followed by other denominations here in the U.S., and then more Christian traditions worldwide. So each year, we are intentional about remembering that through Christ, we are connected, remembering that in baptism, we are claimed as God's children. So you are my sibling and I am yours that even though tragedy has become average, our sin-filled selves are called together at this table with too many seats to count and room for all. Poet Joy Harjo reflects on the power of a simple table in her poem, Perhaps the World Ends Here. She writes, the world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of the earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it. We make women. At this table, we gossip, recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves. And as we put ourselves back together again, once again at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It's a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table and we have prepared our parents for burial here. 
At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of every last sweet bite. This revelation text casts a vision of the kingdom in which we are all united in salvation with God the creator through Christ the lamb, our redeemer. Here at this table, we celebrate the Lord's supper, the sign and seal of our communion with the crucified and risen Lord. Here, God shares God's grace. Here, Christ nourishes us in righteousness and faithfulness and discipleship. Here, the Spirit renews the church in its identity and sends the church for its mission in the world, that we all may do the work of interrupting what is tragic to build a new kingdom. So perhaps the world will end at a kitchen table, but perhaps God's new kingdom for us begins at this table, the Lord's table, while we are laughing and crying and eating of the last sweet bite, as ordinary and extraordinary as it has ever been. When it comes to God's call for us, there are no symbols to decode or hidden messages to seek out. God's call for us is a call to unity in Christ, a call of sending to be Christ-like in our pursuits of justice and peace in whatever corner of the world we find ourselves, a call to share the love that God has kindled inside of us, allowing it to compel us to denounce the powers that oppress, to pull in those have been who have been cast to the margins, and to share hospitality as radical as the hospitality of this table. This table where strangers around the world, too many to count, share bread and cup, united in tradition and ritual. Welcome to God's table, where we are bound together in a moment, in this moment, and in every moment.